0: This is the Relevant Life Church Podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Today is a high day for me. It's a big day for us um, as a family, as pastors, Uh, and I say family because Robin Malcolm is our family. She is our family. She's our family of RLC, but she's also Rhonda's and my family. Uh, We've walked a journey together. Today is a very special day. It's it's a day that uh, she's going to be sharing, very probably very transparently, uh, the process and the journey of her life story of the last year and a half. Um, Just so that you're aware as we step into this, Phil and Robin have been missionaries for, I don't even, I should have asked you how many years, but she'll probably specify that, many, many years. We've supported them for a long time. Uh, we've, they've been acquaintances and friends. And in 2018, at our Organ Mystery Network Summit, uh, there was an altar call, and your pastor went to that altar to be prayed for. And uh, soon after that, there was an arm around me, and I looked up and I began to hear Phil begin to pray over me. Uh, talk, talk about powerful prayer. Uh, and so from that moment, we were acquaintances, but from that moment, the Holy Spirit knit our hearts together. There was a significant aspect that took place. And so uh, today, when we're here to celebrate, we're here to celebrate what God has done through the Malcolm family. We're to celebrate the fact that Phil is in a place that's so much better. But there's also a little bit of mourning in the process. This is, Rhonda's my first time to be able to see Robin. And so, and this is her first time to minister alone. And so today, when she comes, we're here to be family we're here to support. We're here to shout, shout amen. We're here to be her biggest supporters. And the biggest thing that uh, uh, I, I'm gonna, do, the biggest thing that I want you to do as you're sitting in the in, in in the chairs, would you glean what she has to say, but would you also intercede for her as she speaks? Today is a powerful word. God has something to give us at Relevant Life Church, and God has something to give Robin at Relevant Life Church, amen. And so this is a big step. Would you give her a round of applause?
1: Thank you. I'm already crying. (laughs) Well, as Pastor Kevin has said so eloquently, I am Robin Malcolm. I am the straight man half of Malcolm's in Africa. And you need to know that right away because if you remember my husband, you remember that he was loud and big and dynamic. I have pictures of him standing on your stage wearing big goofy glasses and with big glove hands. That is not me. Um, I suffer from a condition my daughter describes as hostile resting face. I'm not angry. This is just my face. (laughs) Okay. So we'll just have to get that right out of the way right now. Uh, Let me start the timer. Otherwise, I'm going to forget because keeping time was always my job. So now I have two jobs. Okay. I have been a missionary since 1998. Pastor Kevin, that makes 24 years this year. Um, And I work with and for and on behalf of the children of Africa. In the last couple terms, it has been specifically the children of West Africa, although our appointment extends to the entire continent. Um, And so I want to talk to you really briefly about what it is that we do. Um, Africa is made up of 54 different nations. There are half a billion children on the African continent. 50% of the population on average is under the age of 15. It varies a bit from country to country, but continent-wide, 50%. Children represent, excuse me, um, a large percentage of our churches either have no ministry to children at all, or they have a very young and immature ministry to children. Now there are churches that are doing an excellent job, so we, we, we see all ends of the spectrum. However, percentage-wise, most of them fall on the no ministry to children or very young ministry to children. So that's what I'm about. Children are the largest underserved population on the whole continent. So what do we do? Well, we are part of the Oregon Ministry Network. You actually, your church, is part of this network, and we are part of it as well. Oh, there's some pictures of us through the years. Sorry, I should have have told you to advance the slide. Those are our prayer cards through the years. So you can see Malcolm's in Africa going all the way back to 1998. We do have two children. They are both adults, 27 and 24, and we have a son-in-law. Oregon Ministry Network. We are part of the Oregon Ministry Network, and the stated vision of the Oregon Ministry Network is that we are planting the church where Jesus Christ is not known. And that is our goal. As part of the Oregon Ministry Network, that is what we do. We are also part of AGWM Africa. AGWM stands for Assemblies of God World Missions. And the stated goal of AGWM Africa is a healthy church within walking distance of every African. Why walking distance? Because continent-wide, most people do not have access to private transportation, and so they tend to go to the church that's closest to them. So we want one within walking distance of every African. When you put these two together, what does Malcolm's in Africa do? Well, our vision, our specific goal, is that we want to work towards a healthy, child-friendly church within walking distance of every African child. So everything we do is working towards that goal. So how do we accomplish that? Well, first of all, we accomplish that through teacher training. Um, It may sound funny, but actually, as a children's missionary, I don't work directly with children very often. And when I do, it is to train teachers. And the reason for that is that um, local teachers, national people, can teach their own children far better than I ever can. They understand their local culture. They understand family relationships and family dynamics in their culture. They speak the children's language, which I may not even do. So my goal is to teach the teachers so that they can teach their own children. And teaching teachers helps build child-friendly churches. The next thing we do, pastoral and leadership training. Um, A pastor leads their church. Where he goes, they follow. So if we can influence the heart of the pastor, we can help build healthy churches that are focused and are ministering to children and understand why it's important. So we do a lot with pastoral training. We do Bible school courses. We wrote a book that's part of a Bible school curriculum on children's ministry. And we work with national church level, so general superintendents and national children's ministries directors, to help them set goals and vision for their ministry in their country. Um, National church partnership. Well, that would include national church partnership. And there you see a picture of me and Phil with some of the national church members that day. The picture on the right. Um, we brought food to a street kid care center, so that's what that picture is. That's the National um, Leadership Committee for Togo, and then just some cute kids, because we needed pictures of cute kids. <laughs> um, national Church Partnership helps also build child-friendly churches, and it helps with, um, put them within walking distance of every African child. The next project, the Sunday School Shelter Project, you probably have heard about. We promoted this heavily last term. I know your church gave heavily. I know Pastor Kevin and when you came to Togo, um, we worked on this project a bit. Um, The beauty of this project is not just that it provides space, so it does provide a child-friendly church in walking distance, but it also builds child-friendly churches because what happens is when we put up one of these shelters, and they are very much within the the reach budget-wise of local churches, but when we come in and provide and help, immediately attendance usually doubles, sometimes triples. Why? Because kids in the neighborhood who are within walking distance will come, even if their parents aren't coming to church. And then in the next neighborhood over, that pastor will see what this church did. Oh, look, it's working. How great is that? I want to do that. And then they build one. So, for example, in the country of Togo, we personally have only been involved in the construction of maybe 40 of these Sunday school shelters. We have given money for maybe another 200 and the countrywide in the last five years has put up maybe close to eight hundred. So the project the project is really fantastic. <laughs> Finally, curating resources. Um, by that, I mean, that's a that's that's a. Um, Not a very specific uh, way to explain it, but by that what I mean is we either look for curriculum and resources that already exist that might help our teachers, or we write it. Now the problem in Africa is that we need resources that are in the languages we need them in, and at the resource level we need them in, and we need them to be culturally appropriate. So American curriculum, as lovely as it is to donate your old used curriculum, it really doesn't work very well in Africa because it's not culturally appropriate and it's not resource appropriate. The average village church cannot find popsicle sticks and glitter to teach their kids. So we are creating resources in which uh, local churches can use what they have available in their homes or on the way to church. And this helps build child-friendly churches. So when we can provide teachers resources, then the teachers teach in a child-friendly way instead of just lecturing. The kids want to come to church, they're excited, they learn, they grow. It all helps accomplish the mission of God. So we do all of these things so that children can go to church, they can hear the good news, and they can worship their creator with this kind of joy. Let me start the next slide for me. Oh, there's our vision again. Sorry, I'm new at this. This should be a video clip. Is it not gonna play for us? No? Nope, okay, that's all right, you see the picture. We have a video clip there of our kids and it's noisy. There were probably 400 kids in that classroom that morning. We're gonna try one more time. No, okay. Um, And I took a panorama of the video, so you can see they're all dancing and making a lot of noise and it's, it's really fun. Okay. So that is Malcolm's in Africa. And as I have said, I am the straight man. You may have noticed that he is missing. In fact, we've talked about it this morning. Before I get into the word, I want to say something. This was always his role. We had a really good division of labor and we did what we excelled at. And this is what he excelled at. And so this is a big step for me to be up here. Usually, I'm the one down on the front row watching the time and pointing at him. When there's five minutes left, you better wrap it up. That's why, that's why, whoops, that's a picture of him. That's why I have my timer out up here, which actually has now shut off. So Um, (laughs) apparently, I've already gone over time. (laughs) Um, You are probably used to the person on the platform talking to you from a place of strength and experience. encouraging you reassuring you and I want to tell you this morning that I am not in that place my life has been shipwrecked right now and I'm riding the waves and I want you to know that this message this morning is as much for me as it is for you because I want to be here with my family and like pastor Kevin said I cannot imagine a better church for me to have launched out this way you guys are a safe place and so I want, I want you to know that when I'm up here, I'm not preaching at you, I'm talking to all of us. And that's where my heart is going to come from today. Um, in January of 2021, we came back from Togo because Phil's mom's health was failing. She'd had dementia for a long time and she was probably not gonna be much longer. And we left Togo on eight days notice and we thought we'd be in the US for about six weeks. And we had a conference. Um, We stayed with her. She rallied, actually, a little bit and hung on a few more months. But we stayed with her for several weeks. And then we had a conference in Dallas, a leadership training conference we had to be at. And then we were going to go back to Togo. And the last day of the conference, literally 24 hours before we were supposed to get on a plane to go back to Togo, Phil looked at me and said, I think I need to go to urgent care. I think I might have pneumonia. Well, he's had pneumonia several times. So, okay, he knows. He didn't want to get on a plane sick. Okay, that was good. So he went to urgent care, and I went back to the hotel to start packing us up. And while I was at the hotel, he called me and said, you better come down here. They found something. They did an x-ray, and he did have pneumonia. But he also had a 7-centimeter mass in his right lung, size of a tennis ball. Over the next few weeks, we watched, walked through the process of a diagnosis, and we had a name for it, non-small cell adenocarcinoma, stage four. It was inoperable because at that point it had spread. He had lesions in his pelvic bone and in his ribs and in part of his skull. So I'm just going to put this up here because I want you to see this. So we didn't know at that time what, what God was going to do. We heard what the doctor said, but we also knew what God is capable of. And we started to pray. And we started to ask, would God heal? Would God do a miracle? Because we know that faith in God activates the power of God to do the supernatural. Faith in God launches miracles. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 11 with you, verses 29 through 35. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me. If not, we'll, we'll pop some bullet points up on the screen behind me. If you're not familiar with, your, with the word, I just want to let you know that the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is what we sometimes call the hall of faith. So this chapter itemizes people of faith in the Bible, commends them for their faith. So I want to read this to you and think about the things that have happened by faith. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again because of faith. Backing up, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and countless as sand on the seashore. I love this passage, how polite is the writer here. Sarah, who was past childbearing age, but Abraham, who was as good as dead. (laughs) Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. But my favorite part of that passage is she considered him faithful who had made the promise. We considered God faithful. He had made us a promise and so we prayed because faith mobilizes God's power to bring about a supernatural work. Faith launches miracles and in faith we started to pray. He first started with radiation on his ribs to help with uh, the pain that that was causing and then he went into chemo and immune therapy. The first oncologist we were with never really gave us much of a prognosis. In fact, he never really gave us much information at all. And when I asked what is the best case outcome of this treatment, with his hand on the door as he was walking out, he said, well, we're just going to hope that the cancer goes away. Okay, we didn't know. We said, okay, he's hopeful, we're hopeful, God's going to do a miracle. We're just going to hope that the best case scenario, the cancer will just go away. No one said this is stage four cancer, it doesn't go away without a miracle. However, <clears throat> we did know that while God, cho- some, God can do miracles, we also know that sometimes he chooses to do them through medicine. So whether God chose to heal Phil through medicine or through a miracle, we were going to consider him faithful who had made the promise. The next scans showed that our tennis ball here had shrunk a little bit. So we went from a tennis ball down to a little golf ball-sized tumor. So that was really hopeful, Um, However, he he had more radiation at that point. It was time to radiate the primary tumor. Um, He continued on the chemo and and the immune therapy, but the rib problem started getting bad, so he started breaking ribs. Rib 5 and 6 both broke just from turning over in bed, one of them. And if you've ever had a broken rib, you know how painful that is. Um, But we had more prayers. People were praying for us. It wasn't just us. Everyone started praying. Missionary colleagues started praying. African national pastors started praying. And let me tell you, God listens to African pastors when they pray. Um, churches here, you guys started praying all across the, ne- the Oregon network, all across the U.S. People were praying because faith mobilizes God's power to bring about a supernatural work. In fact, there's a few more examples in uh, the Gospels of healings that are linked to faith. The woman with the issue of blood In Matthew chapter 9 was healed and Jesus said to her take heart daughter your faith has made you well the centurion's servant was healed in Matthew chapter 8 verses 5 through 13 notice the man was healed because of someone else's faith Jesus said to the centurion let it be done for you as you have believed The man that was lowered through the roof, the paralyzed man, was healed because of someone else's faith. In that passage in Luke chapter 5, it says when he saw their faith. Oh, I have glasses. I guess that would help me. (laughs) When he saw their faith. We had friends believing for us. We had faith all across the world that God was going to do a miracle. People were coming up to us and saying, I believe God will heal him miraculously. People said that to us. I believe I have a word from the Lord. God will heal him miraculously. And we believed it. Last August, we went to general counsel in Orlando, Florida, specifically because they had a healing service. By last August, Phil's health had, I won't say deteriorated, but he was tired all the time. I have to choose now between reading and seeing you. He was tired all the time, and we knew that travel would be difficult. He had a hard time just going to the grocery store with me, but he was determined to be at that service. So we went to Orlando. While we were there, he got pneumonia, so he spent most of that trip in the hotel room, but he got up, and we went to the healing service, and it was a powerful service, and it was good for our faith, and it was encouraging to be there to worship, to pray, and to be prayed for. Um, But still, we didn't really have much of an answer. Um, The tumor started growing again, which meant that the therapy wasn't working. So we went from the golf ball back to the tennis ball. And we went to a specialist at Barnes Jewish Hospital in St. Louis, a lung cancer specialist. And this specialist was a little more forthcoming with us. Um, He told us, I want to make sure that you understand that this cancer is incurable. That's the word he used, incurable. So everything we're doing is just buying time. He also said the average lifespan for somebody after receiving this diagnosis is 12 months. And that was the first time anybody had given us a number. And by then it had already been about seven, six or seven. So it felt very much like the clock was ticking. However, he did switch, he did work with our oncologist. We switched oncologists because we weren't very pleased with the guy who stood with his hand on the door. Um, So we switched oncologists and we were very happy with our new one and the specialist in St. Louis started working with our oncologist and together they put him on a different chemo and immune therapy. They ran genetic tests. It was very targeted. Um, They were very hopeful. This is our best hope. The first scans showed that, again, that tennis ball tumor had shrunk. But he had some new ones. He had some lumps on his adrenal glands. And I don't remember the sizes, but I'm going off of memory here. Sorry, I should have just dumped all this out. See, I'm learning. (laughs) Phil probably would have told me to do that. (laughs) He had some small ones on his adrenal glands, probably smaller than that to begin with like these little wooden beads. But that was new. And on his lymph nodes as well. So we have adrenal glands and lymph nodes. He got pneumonitis, which is just inflammation of the lungs from the radiation. He had a pneumothorax, which means his lung collapsed. They still don't really know to this day why, other than cancer. The best specialist kind of threw their hands up and said cancer. So he was in the hospital for 10 days for that. He had more broken ribs, number three, number four, number seven, and number twelve. He had constant pain in his back, but he was still believing. My faith started to waver. Not that I ever believed God couldn't heal. I always believed God could heal, but that I started to wonder if he would. And that was really rough. I clung at that time to the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who when they stood before Nebuchadnezzar, under threat of being thrown into the furnace, said, I know my God is able to deliver me from the flames, and I know he will deliver me from your hand, but even if he does not, I will not bow. But Phil held on so much more tightly than I did to that faith, He considered the one who made the promise faithful. In February, in February, well actually in about January, we heard about a clinical trial. We were contacted about a clinical trial in St. Louis that he would have qualified for. It looked very promising, a different kind of therapy, not chemotherapy. And in the process of screening to see whether he qualified for that, they had to do some scans. So in February, on one day, he had an MRI and a PET scan in the same day. And this is what we found out. We still had the tennis ball-sized tumor in his lungs. He had another tumor in his other lungs. So the tennis ball was on the right. He had another little one in his left. He had a tumor in his belly right next to a loop of bowel. (sighs) Sorry, this is hard. The ones in his lymph nodes had grown. So golf ball size right here underneath his breastbone and one in his throat. Both of them about that size. His adrenal glands, which sit on your back just above your kidneys, which should be fairly small, maybe walnut size, were huge. They told us later they were bigger than his kidneys. So he had those tumors. He had fractures in various stages of healing on his ribs. Number three, number four, number five, number six, number seven, and number 12 were all broken and in various stages of healing. He had lesions on his spine. No wonder he had back pain in T4, T8, T12, L4, and S1. But the worst thing that happened that day, the worst news that day was that he had a tumor in his brain that we didn't know about, a golf ball-sized tumor. That was the most urgent one, and that was what they said, we have to take care of this today. This has to come out. And so he went in for brain surgery, and they took out the golf ball-sized tumor in his brain. But the day that he went in for surgery, he said to me, it's still not too late. A miracle now would surely glorify God. Can you imagine a miracle right now? What would it say to our unbelieving son? What would it say to all of our friends who have expressed doubt in God? Our, we have a lot of unsaved friends. So the brain tumor came out. But what actually happened was that the brain surgery had complications that stole his cognition and then eventually his lucidity in a slow downward arc. And over the next few weeks, we went into hospice, and then kidney failure took him. At 1.25 in the morning, I held his hand and cried and prayed while he took his last breath. I'm in the shipwreck. I'm clinging to the debris of my life, wondering what just happened. He was 54 years old, he was in the prime of his career. It would be easy to ask, God, why did you allow this? Why didn't you heal? Did I not have enough faith? Was this my fault? I felt guilty for all the times that I wondered if God would heal. Was this my fault? Because I doubted that God would do it. Because we believe that God is faithful. The one who made the promises faithful. Faith mobilizes God's power to bring about the supernatural work. It launches miracles. But if we stop there, that's an incomplete theology. It's a prosperity gospel is what that is. Because it leads, this leads to heresy actually. It does damage. Faith mobilizes God's power to bring about a supernatural work sometimes, but sometimes faith brings about a supernatural perseverance through trial. Looking back at Hebrews chapter 11 verses 35 through 38, remember this is the same chapter we just read. Here's what else faith did. There were others who were tortured refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered around in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. God did not rescue these people from the trial. He sustained them through the trial. And they trusted that he would work things out for their good. God sustained us through the trial. I would love to go through the whole list of different ways that God sustained us. But just briefly, let me just say, we had a house to go to. Our own house that was a rental opened up right when we needed it to. We had good insurance. I can see why cancer ruins people. Almost a million dollars was spent on Phil's care. God prepared me for what was next. Over the last couple years, certain things had happened. I got my ministerial license. I finished a master's degree. God was positioning me for this moment. We had a support network around us. You guys were a part of that. Gifts were sent to us. Remember, we left Togo on eight days' notice. All of our things, our whole household was still in Togo. But a gift from you guys bought our refrigerator and, I think, our couch. Gifts from other people refurnished our home here. We had, even more than the physical things, we had so many graces. We had moments of lucidity right when we needed them. Our son, who I said um, is not serving the Lord, had had a big argument with his dad a few months prior. Came to see his dad in the hospital, and they were able to say, I love you, and to talk. The very next day, Phil's lucidity was gone, and it didn't ever come back in the same way. That was a grace. That was God sustaining us. Peace. I was never angry at God. I had an amazing peace through the whole thing. Even though I wondered if he would, I never doubted that he was good. It wasn't that God did this to us. God did not do this to us. This was not God's will for our life. God allowed it to happen, but that's not the same thing. And we live in a culture that expects safety and security. We expect protection, and we think that we should never have to be uncomfortable, or we should be exempted from suffering. And when we do, we think God has failed us. We need to have realistic expectations that bad things happen to us because we live in a fallen world, and this isn't the end. This is only the beginning. I was never promised rescue. In fact, I was promised the opposite. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trials. What I was promised was his presence in suffering. Again and again, I will be with you in the wilderness. I will be with you in the fight for the promised land. I will be with you in the fiery furnace and in the storm. And in the valley of the shadow of death, his nearness is what sustains us. And the beautiful thing about this is that suffering and perseverance produce hope. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5 says this, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts. Perseverance produces hope. Hope does not fail us. Does this mean that I have to like it? Well, Paul says we glory in our sufferings, I'm not quite as holy as Paul. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. I can see the silver lining. But I also can see that grief and hope can exist in the same space. And we need to be better about acknowledging that. I want to I emphasize this. When you go out and talk to somebody that you know that's going through a trial, be very careful about how you speak to them. Because we need our grief acknowledged I need to not feel like I'm doing something wrong by grieving my husband. And yet, I still have hope. You can have both at the same time. Phil was healed. The one who made the promise was faithful. He is in heaven. He has no more cancer. All of this is gone. If I was really committed to the illustration, I would break this this plastic thing because that body was a temporary vessel, and he will never fight cancer again. But right now, I'm grieving, and I just want to say this is what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow of death and know that God is with us. This is what it means to be struck down but not destroyed. This is what it means to be comforted. When Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And we need to understand this, or we will carry guilt for something that isn't ours to carry lack of a miracle does not equal lack of faith note that those people in the book of Hebrews the ones that didn't get their miracle they were commended for their faith just as much as the ones who did we just need to know that sometimes faith launches a supernatural miracle and sometimes it launches a supernatural perseverance even Jesus in Hebrews 12:1 through 2 the next chapter talks about how Jesus, Uh, went through the same thing, that he walked through the trial. He endured the cross for what came after. The freedom from suffering that we are promised comes at the end of the race, not in the middle. What's next for me? Is there still a Malcolm's in Africa? Oh, look, my timer went off. (laughs) Is there still a Malcolm's in Africa when it's just me? Well, yes, there is. And I struggled for a while, actually, with that name. What you're seeing up there is my newsletter that I sent out announcing Phil's passing. I struggled with the name Malcolm's in Africa because that's plural. And there's just one of me. And in the end, I left it because I wanted to make a statement that Phil's still having an impact. His life still matters on this earth. And so we are still Malcolm's in Africa. I'm just the new face of it. (laughs) There's still work to do. And this is something that has come out of the perseverance. God has positioned me to continue the work. So I'll continue doing what we've always done. I'll do teacher training. I can do it in person. I can travel to Africa and, and do conferences. I can also do it by Zoom. In fact, last May, we did a whole two-week training class, um, four hours a day, two, two weeks straight, with the Bible school students in the Gambia. It's possible, especially in this COVID era. So that's really cool. I'll still do pastoral, leadership and, uh, pastoral and leadership training. Um, I'm still involved with national churches. In fact, I had an email just last night from someone in South Africa, one of the national church leaders, asking me if I was still coming back and when, when am I coming. Um, we've talked about another book, another Discovery Series book, so that the Bible schools can expand children's ministry into um, a whole track. Instead of just one course, they can do a children's ministry track. Me moving on, though, is not really the point that I want you to take home so much today. I just want to ask you, some of you are walking through trials right now. I'm always surprised when I hear what people are going through that I would have never known. On Friday, I had pictures taken, pictures of just me, another milestone, just pictures by myself. But the photographer was an old friend of mine, and out of the blue, she said, "I, I, I bet you didn't know that my son took his own life last fall, and I didn't know it. And I wouldn't have known if she hadn't told me because she came across as very joyful. And we don't know what people are going through. I don't know what you're going through. But I know that there's hurt in this room. And I want to ask you, will you trust him whether or not your faith activates a miracle? Or whether it just gives you a supernatural perseverance to walk through the trial? Will you put your hope in God? Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to come and share. I'm going to turn the mic back over to Pastor Kevin at this point.
0: What an amazing, amazing word. I love the fact that she was able to reveal the sovereignty of God. And I think that's something that all of us need to be able to embrace, the sovereignty of God, that God is, is able, and sometimes God chooses, and sometimes he doesn't. And that's him, his to choose. And uh, she did an, Robin, you did an amazing job in explaining today. You know, uh, Robin, or Phil had a gift, but Robin, you have a gift. You have an anointing to be able to stand up here and do what you're doing. God, I love the fact that you pointed to how God's prepared you. I was part, I was, remember when I was in Togo, you were in the middle of your masters. They uh, the part of your credentialing, that whole process that was there. And so, Robin, I'm proud of you, proud of you. Can I tell you, God's proud of you. God's proud of you. And I know Phil was very proud of you. Today, we are part of a future that seems a little bit uncertain certain uncertain in the earthly life but very certain in God's purposes. Uh, I love missions. I love that God uses the broken. I love that God uses circumstances to be able to testify of his goodness. And uh, today when we talk about missions it's it's the divine mandate of God. The divine mandate. You know when Jesus said go into all the world and preach the gospel He was leaving us with a challenge that seemed impossible in ourselves, but very possible in him. And we have a responsibility as believers today, not just to come and go, wow, that was a great message, and to be moved by it. But Romans chapter 10 actually takes us one step further. And I want to read it to you. I read it every time we have a missionary, and I pray, every time I read this, I pray, God, would you speak to another heart today? Would you give them the burden for missions one more time? Romans chapter 10 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I ask you today, are you thankful that He saved you? Are you thankful that when you called on Him, He heard your voice? And He says, I'm going to save you. Today, there are many people across Africa that don't even know who to call upon. They haven't had the opportunity that you and I take for granted today, this morning. And it goes on in this verse, it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one on whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Today, I looked over when we were singing, and I'll stand, and Robin's hands were straight in the air, going, God, I'm still called. I'll still go. God, I don't like how it is, but I'll still go. Today, we are here to say, Robin, you're willing to go. We're willing to send you. Amen? We're going to send you, we're partnering with, we've partnered with you and Phil, and we're going to continue to do so. Up to to this point right now, we give 165-ish a month to Robin, uh, to the Malcolms in Africa. And I want to give you an invitation this morning. One, we need an offering, we want an, we're going to take an offering. Uh, We don't just need an offering, we want an offering. It's what we do as believers, we give offerings, we give generously. And as well as, we're asking that if you want to pledge, you're able to do so. Today in your church app, if you have that downloaded on your phone, you open your church app, there's going to be way over on the uh, right side, there's a pledge button. If you'll hit the pledge button, you're going to see on there there's a special guest pledge here. And that'll click to a a little uh, form that you can fill out with your name and information and say how much a month you're going to give. Maybe today you're going, Pastor Kevin, I'm not technology uh, savvy. And you can take an envelope and you can write it on the back of the envelope and you can drop it in the green box back there as well as your offerings today. So you can give online, and you can also give in the green box. And I just want to ask for generosity this morning. I want to ask for generosity this morning. One of it is an act of our faith as we have journeyed. Have, remember the prayers we prayed. Remember the prayers we prayed. This doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're coming back going, God, we know you have a plan, and you have a future, and we're part of that plan and that future. And God, we want to be able to be generous in our giving this morning. So would you do that today? Make sure before you leave, whether that's going to be in the green box or whether that's on an online app, would you do that today? We want to invite you in that facet of, of ministry, of serving today. I want to take a moment like we always do, and we want to pray over the Malcolms in Africa. And I want to pray over Robin today. Again, as I said earlier, I'm proud of you. You did amazing this morning. Amazing. Rhonda, would you reach over and put your arm around her? Would you extend your hands towards Robin today? God, in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you today that you are a God of mercy and you're a God of grace. God, I thank you for the confession of Robin's mouth this morning, that God, you are a good God. And God, we thank you today that you care so deeply about every circumstance and every situation. God, that you are moved with our sorrows and our griefs. You are moved with our joys. You are moved, God, with our submission and our surrender to you. And God, today as we recognize, as we see the verbal words and hear those verbal words that Robin has stated, God, of her submission and surrender to you, God, we pray for grace and mercy to walk out those steps. God, the grace and the mercy to walk through the grief that she's walking, the loss. God, we pray over her family. God, I pray over Grace and Jake. God, in the name of Jesus, would you show up in their lives? God, they're Malcolms in Africa. They're part of Malcolms in Africa. God, you have, they were part of the beginning. So God, we call them in, in the name of Jesus. Would you bring healing, restoration? God, would you restore what the enemy is trying to steal in the name of Jesus? God, we declare them... God, uh, God, we declare Jake, especially God, God is, is, is set apart for you in the name of Jesus. And God, today we pray for your mercies. God, we pray for your provision. We pray for open doors that no man can shut. God, I pray for opportunities. God, that as Robin shares his story, just as she did with us, that there'd be a recognition in hearts and lives. And God, we thank you for her. We thank you for her obedience and her faithfulness to continue pressing on. And God, Robin referred to a segment of people that need hope. And God, there are people, whether they're online this morning or whether they're in this room, they need hope. If that's you, as a heads heads are bowed, would you just lift your hand to heaven? God, today we come and we ask, would you bring hope? God, you are hope. God, you are hope. God, would you bring peace in circumstances that seem insurmountable? God, would you give us the same grace that you're giving Robin to walk this out? Would you help us walk out our situations and circumstances? God, would you be near to each one? God, I love the fact that you are, uh, that, that we're all favorites of God. And God, you walk with all of us. So God, today, would you just encourage and stretch and strengthen? In the name of Jesus. And God, as we have heard such a deeply theological message this morning, God, we see the faith for miracles, but we also see the faith of perseverance. God, help us to cling to both of them this morning. God help us not to let go of either of them. Because God, you are a God of faith and you are a God of miracles, and you are a God of perseverance. And God, we thank you today that you would work that you've done what you are doing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. There are brand new prayer cards or new information prayer cards out on the back connection table that uh, Robin would love for you to take and pray for her, uh, pray for her journey. And uh, we're gonna be walking with her, amen? Amen, we're gonna continue to pray and support her. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Thank you so much for giving today. Thank you for praying uh, and being part of the service. We're look forward to what God's gonna be doing next week on Father's Day. Fathers, You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great day as well as the continuation of the summer. We have a lot of things planned. God bless you. We'll see you soon. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.